Lord, we honor you as king. You are the king, and um, with all creation, we sing your praise and glory because you are holy, holy, holy. And we long for the day when we want your name to be made holy, and we long for the day when things will be on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I just pray that you would let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I just, the verse of the day popped up on my app, on my phone. Let the message about Christ and all its fullness fill your lives. That's, that's a good blessing for the day, huh? So as we come to the word, may this message about Christ and all of its richness fill our lives. A uh, couple of things just to start with um, as I get this thing up and rolling. Um, I have forgotten two weeks to do this, but several people have asked, um, have said, Garen, what do we call you? And I've heard different things, um, and I've, I've, got, I've got a pretty strong opinion about that. Do you know what? Uh, I'm just Garen. That's who I am. That's who I've always been. That's who I've been to most of you guys, and just, just call me Garen. If you feel the need to call me something else, as long as it's not too bad, you know, that's, that's okay. But that's really who I am. I'm, you know, in my opinion, I'm just, as I'm making a, trying to put all this mess up here together, I'm, you know, I think in this role, I'm supposed to be the lead follower, even though, like, if you get to know, if you ask anybody in our small group, Gary Laux, or if you know Carol Bradburn, I'm not sure I'm the lead follower, actually. There are other people who I, I respect so much their, their love and walk with Christ, but I'm just Garen, so that's, that's who I am. There is a baptism tonight at 4.30. I really want to encourage you to come to that. Um, baptisms are significant events. I really learned how significant they were. I mean, I remember when I became a believer and I did this thing of this public declaration of my faith in Christ, and that was a powerful moment. But working with people of other cultures, you learn that in a lot of countries around the world, to get baptized is to be rejected from your family. It's to be turned away. It's to be considered dead. And I... I came to value with international students that it, it was even more important than I realized. And it is significant in the life of our community. So we have four people tonight getting baptized, be in the West Sanctuary. So uh, just encourage you to come to that. So we're going to continue with this theme of this journey onward. Um, and I still want to keep talking about um, our quest um, in a little di different way, but I do want to talk about this idea of our quest. Two weeks ago, we talked about our captain, the one that we are to live for him and for his story, right? And we are to live under authority and not in authority. And last week was all about him and his story, the story of God, and that being our quest as a community of Jesus. Um, and it was the story of the good news of the coming of the kingdom. And we talked about this thing. And I know some of this, the font's small on some of this, 
detail. So I'm actually, we're going to print this out next week and have it available for anybody um, that wants to have that. But if you remember, I mean, if I were to back this up, the story of God, it's a three-part drama. Can you guys help me? What are the three parts? We started with what? Creation and then corruption, and it ends in restoration or recreation or new creation. And just to emphasize, though it's probably hard to read, that the restoration, it is partial now. When Jesus comes, it will be made complete. A lot of the things we struggle with, I just got a text from somebody struggling with somebody, something, struggling with something, and it's unending. And we'll sit and talk about that, but part of that is, is we're living at a time when his restoration is only partial. It's not complete. And we share in his sufferings even now. And the key moment is that redemption in the middle, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection which is at the core of the, the center of the story. Um, that it's, yeah, recreation, new creation. It's all about the great restoration. God restoring the totality of his creation back to its original design, as well as bringing all things back under his reign. And so I talked about, we are, have a part in that mission. So that our lives really ought to be about restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. I heard some encouraging stories this week of people who left here Sunday and lived with that intentionality last week. Um, I met with uh, some, a couple last week and heard their story. And in hearing their story, I just realized that we have several people in one place. I won't say it right now. But those people in that place are having a kingdom impact on the people around them and are People are being drawn into the life of God because of their influence in the place. So keep up the good work. That's really what we're all about, right? And just remember, God's job is the all. I don't worry about that. Um, and at the end of the story, he'll bring it all to completion, but he'll take care of all that. But I do, um, I do have a place, and it's for me to strive to, uh, to bring a piece of God's kingdom peace into creation, one person, one place at a time. So... Um, have you ever heard of the story of the seashell? The little boy, a man saw a boy on a beach and he would run out into the water and do something and he would run back and the man thought he was dancing and went down and the closer he got, he realized that the boy was picking up seashells uh, or urchins, sea urchins, and then he was going and running and throwing them in the, in the ocean. And I mean, the beach was just covered with thousands upon thousands. And the man went up to him and he said, son, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm saving the lives of the sea urchins. And the man said, there's, there's millions. You're never going to make a difference. And the little boy picked one up and he ran and he threw it in the ocean. And he said, it made a difference to that one. Right? One person, one place at a time. Um, so actually, I'm going to throw out something I'm going to call plumb lines, and I'll, make, I'll explain these a little more later. Over the next couple of years, we'll kind of work with some of these, but this is an important plumb line in my life, and I think in the life of God's church, and it's this, that God is on a mission, and His mission has a church. And that's a little counterintuitive because even last week I was like, hey, we as a people of God, we have a mission and we do have a mission. But that's a little bit reversed because God's been on this mission since Genesis 3. 
He's been on this mission a lot, a long time. So God has a mission, and his mission has a church. Does that make sense? So the, the mission really is central to our lives. If you want to read more about this, some people were asking. Uh, three books I highly recommend, Creation Regained. It's not too big, but it talks a lot about God's kingdom movement, his restoration. Uh, David is here from Hayes, Kansas, recommended the explicit gospel to me, and I've buzzed through this. And this really talks about the gospel, um, this, this whole story, but also the gospel that, as we normally think about it and how they're really one thing. That's, I really highly recommend that. And then this week, Scott Strom gave me this book and called Broken Down House by Paul David Tripp. And Scott, that's what this is all about. Uh, he tells the story of he went to Florida. They were visiting his father-in-law. And while he was there, his father-in-law likes to buy houses and flip them. And his father-in-law took him out to look at houses. And there was one particular one he wanted to look at. And I'm not going to read this whole part here, but he took him to, the, to, the, uh, to this house that just was totally broken down. And his dad, his father-in-law said, well, that's promising. And he's like, what in the world are you talking about? Like when they opened the door, the door fell off. And I mean, when, you know, it just in horrible condition. And his dad, his father-in-law bought it. And so within a few days, my father-in-law had secured the money to buy the house. Not long afterward, he moved in and began to complete a complete and total restoration. I'll never forget walking into that house after all the work had been completed. It was hard to imagine it was the same house. And then he transitions. The world we live in is a lot like that broken down house. Every single room... Uh, my age is showing, right? Every single room has been dirtied and damaged by sin. Not, uh, not one part of it shines with anything like the pure glory that was so evident when it was first made. Sin has left this world in a sorry condition. You see it everywhere you look. But let us also see that this world of ours is more than a broken down house. It is a broken down house in the process of being restored. Like my father-in-law examining that ruined little house in Miami, God is not willing for this broken down world to stay in its sorry condition. As creator, he is able to look at it and see promise, the promise of a total restoration of its beauty. And he has asked you to move in with him to be one of his tools of restoration. You have been created and called by God for more than survival. You've been created and called to care for more than just yourself. You've been chosen to be engaged in a process, to care about, to work for, to embrace the promise and possibility of a restoration lifestyle. Your Lord is the ultimate restorer, and He never rests. One day His work will be over, and the world will be completely renewed. In the meantime, He calls you and me to live in this broken-down house with hearts of patience and eyes of promise. He calls us away from self-focused survival and to the hard work of restoration. And the whole rest of the book is how do you live as a restorer in the world, in the broken world we're in. And I've just scanned, Pat and I talked about it and just scanned some of the chapters. Looks great. So, but that's what it's about. That's, that's the quest. And, but at the center of that quest, just to remind you, is, is his desire not just to restore his creation, but to restore each and every person back into relationship with himself. Um, that's, that's so important. 
2 Peter 3.9 says, He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, to turn back to Him. He wants to bring all of us, all sinners, back into His family, into His kingdom. And that's why I said that that's at the centerpiece of this story. It's His desire to bring, into his, bring me into His kingdom, into right relationship with Himself. But it just doesn't stop there. It isn't just being born into the family and becoming a member of the kingdom. Once I'm part of that family, part of the kingdom, he puts his Holy Spirit in me, and he begins this lifelong process of restoring me, of restoring me. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is this whole thing about um, this process of restoring me. Evan, where are you, sir? Can you come up? Um. Some people have asked about the Plato. It's for a reason. Um, uh, as I try to get this, you know, Plato was like adult proof. Getting it out, did you know that? I don't remember as a kid. Plato was so hard to get out. Um, so I'm gonna. You can just stand. I don't know. You can get in the tent or sit in that chair over there. I don't know. Um, but I, here's. I want. I want to use this, and may, hopefully you'll never see Plato the same again. I'm gonna make a little human really quick. Um, if you don't mind, there's a reason for this. Um, okay, I am a, you will learn over the next few years, I'm a master artist. <laughs> People who've been over in the international, I mean, look at that. Have you seen a more cool human than that? It looks like, who's that dude in the, the alien dude in the 70s? You know, the big head, you know what I'm talking about? E.T. E. There you go, looks like E.T. All right. All right, that's 80s? Okay, Evan, I want you to take this, and I want you to rework that for me as I talk. So uh, please pay attention to me, not to him, okay, for during this thing. Um, and I actually did one of these yesterday. That's a little better ET. Got a big nose, but uh, not too bad. So I want to look at three key scriptures in, in the New Testament about this, his desire to bring restoration to me. And this is, to me, big picture stuff, things I'm talking about these few weeks. Um, and we're going to see in these verses, we're going to see the word morph, which to me is fascinating. It's from the Greek word morphe. Um, any of you seen Terminator 2, T2, where the bad guy, if he touches somebody, he can morph into that person, and it's th just the technology of how they, the CG of how they got that to happen was just really amazing. Oh, I've seen it. It's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, okay. That doesn't mean I recommend it to everybody else here. Uh, <laughs> I've learned. You've got to be careful with that stuff. All right. Uh, all right. So here, here's the scripture I want to turn to. I want to, if you have a Bible, you can flip to them. But the first one's in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, where, he, where Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until God is, what's that word? Till God is formed in you, the Greek word morphe, till God is morphed in you. I'm going to get out another Plato here. I want to show you form. Um, to form is just to take something that's unformed and you form it into something that you want it to be. What, what do you guys, what do you want me to form this into? Give me some ideas. What do you want me to make? E.T. E what else? A cat? Dog? Snake? Snake. I'll do a snake. <laughs> Thank you. Who said that? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Woo. I thought somebody was going to say giraffe. I was so scared. All right. That was like a hot dog. <laughs> okay. So I heard somebody say hot dog. This looks like one of the ones that rolls like in the quick shop, you know. 
okay, I just took something that was like no form and I formed it, okay? That's, that's what Paul says that Christ is wanting to do to me. The next one is in Romans 8, 29. And it says, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be, what's that English word? Conformed. Soon morphe in the Greek. Conformed to the what? The likeness of his son. To conform is to take something again that's shapeless and to press it into a mold. I've got, oh, look at that, Dumbo. To press it into a mold, and by pressing it in, it conforms to the image that's in the mold. So there it is. I don't know if you can see it. There's Dumbo. Or even, how about this one? This is better. Peyton Manning, Hall of Fame football. Look at that. Stick this thing, push that into the mold, and what do I get? I get... uh, Man, this is taking me back to my childhood. There it is. Peyton's uh, 55th touchdown pass against the Raiders a few years ago to get him, not that didn't get him in the Hall of Fame, but to conform is to, to put something in the mold so it has the imprint of the thing on it. And then the other passage is 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul says this. He says, day by day, with ever-increasing increasing glory, we are being inwardly, what's that word? transformed, metamorphe, by the Spirit of the Lord to be like who? Jesus. Second time we've seen the word like, likeness or like, to like Jesus, to reflect His glory. And to transform or to metamorph is to take something that has a form to it and you put it in the hands of a master, a master sculptor, and then that person takes the thing you created that didn't look very much like what it was supposed to, and then they, through their skill, is able to to transform or to metamorph something into what it really should be. Now, it's taken... Yeah, he's... Look at that. Show them your little human guy. Already? Already. It's... I know. Your time was short. I'm going to show them what you did yesterday, though, but that's a lot better than E.T. Check this out. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. Evan, and that's all I needed. Could you stick that back in here? Put it into a... Uh, sure. Okay, he did this for me yesterday with more time. He took my ET, and that's what he created. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, that is man on a 14er resting after his four-hour climb, looking at the clouds, I think. That's what, that, that's what I'm going to call that. But this thing in 2 Corinthians is that God wants to not only form me and conform me, but he wants to transform, or he wants to do in my life a metamorphosis. Metamorphe, that was the Greek word. Um, Evan, that was awesome. Thank you, sir. Um, that's what God wants to do in my life. Um, If you know Jesus and you have the Spirit of God, this is His quest for you, His personal quest, that He wants to morph you. He wants to mold you, shape you. In the words of Dallas Willard, He is seeking the renovation of our hearts. He wants to make you and me gradually over time more and more like Himself. That I would progressively to greater degrees come to embody the life of God in my life. You know, like any father, he wants me to share the family resemblance. His intent for my life is nothing less than spiritual transformation. Once you become his child, that's, that's his quest. It's this lifelong work of restoring the fullness of his image in his people, in you 
and in me. And if I were to summarize it in a sentence, this is it. God wants to form, conform, and transform you and me into the image and likeness of his son. And not just for ourselves. He's always got a larger story. To his glory and for the sake of others. That's the whole thing about being on the mission. Paul talks more about this in other places in the New Testament. In Ephesians 3.19, he says that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. In Ephesians 4.12-13, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all become mature. And what's mature look like? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And Ephesians 4.24, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I've got another one that's really good. Colossians 3.10, you have begun to live the new life in which you are being made new and becoming like the one who made you. The NAV says being made new in the image of its creator. Now tell me, we keep running into this word like or likeness, this word image. Where have you ever heard that before in the Bible? Where do you hear those words, like, likeness, image? Genesis, the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, where we're told that God created humans in His image. Um, by the way, a really important principle of biblical interpretation, when you encounter an, a word that's significant in the Bible, take it back to the first occurrence of that word because it is a story and there's so many threads that run through Scripture. And if you'll take it back to the beginning and follow threads, it's really amazing what you'll find. Can I show you how much this is a thread of Scripture? This is really huge, this, this whole concept, because it tells me that part of the overall story of God is the story of my spiritual transformation. And I want to show you with the thing that we talked about last week. Um, so creation, we first see that phrase, created in image and likeness in Genesis 1. Adam and Eve were created with God's image stamped upon their very being. They perfectly imaged God, reflected Him, His character, His purposes back into the creation. As His image bearers, they, they were bringing his love and care and wise order to bear upon the whole creation. But in the rebellion, in corruption, at that time of corruption, that image was shattered. It wasn't lost, but it was broken. Still there, but it's a shadow of its former reality. We no longer reflect God very well. We no longer, they, you know, the first man and woman, they no longer perfectly imaged God or reflected Him, His character, His purposes back to the rest of creation. They, they rarely imaged or reflected God um, in their caring for creation. But God, it's the story of God. He's not going to leave us there. He's not going to leave His creation there. He's not going to leave us there, broken in our sin and separated from Him. So, in order to redeem all things, God steps into the story. He does this through Jesus, whose name means God to the rescue. He comes as Emmanuel, God in flesh, Colossians 1.15 says that this Jesus, the creator who became human, is the image, the image of the invisible God. And in Jesus, the fullness of God lives in bodily form. He was fully God, yet fully human. His preferred title for himself was son of man. Son of, that, that, that phrase son of man has a lot of different meanings, but one of them is this, the Hebrew 
in the Greek Hebrew culture, son of was an idiom for the embodiment of. So son of God would mean Jesus was the embodiment of God. So son of man meant he was the embodiment of man or of humans. He, Jesus, was the truly human one. Jesus was, was, was what Adam was meant to be but failed to be as a human. Jesus was what I was meant to be and failed to be. And so he lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I should have died. Shed his blood on the cross for my sin. Victoriously rose again on the third day in order to bring me back for myself. And so he is the image that we reflect. And then here's his promise that if I accept him, his work on the cross for my sin, if I welcome him into my life, I'm born into the family, I become a citizen of the kingdom. And then he puts his spirit inside of me and he begins this process of ongoing spiritual transformation in my life. If you want a big church word for that, it's sanctification. But we'll come back to that later. Not later is in a few months. Over the course of my life, God gradually begins the process of restoring his image in me fully. And many, t- I think most of the time, it's three steps forward, two steps backwards, right? I mean, you all know. Yep, you all know. We're all together on that. Uh, he does this so that I can once again image, reflect him, his character, his purposes back into creation. That I can once again, as his image bearer, bring his love and care and wise order to bear upon the whole creation. Working with him, restoring all things back to him, one person, one place at a time. And if remember, this part of the story, the restoration that we're living in now is partial, right? It's partial. So the Bible's clear. This process will never be completed in my life and your life in this life right now. Um, that I'm not going to be made perfect until that I die or the great day. But, but I believe we can make great progress. I've seen God change so much of my life. There's so much yet to do. Change so much of my life since I came to him. But he will finish that restoration work that he started. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? The day is coming when Jesus will return as king and he will bring in the full restoration of all things. He will resurrect our bodies We will begin to live and reign with him on that new creation. And we will be finally and fully free from the presence of sin. Finally and fully being a bearer, a full bearer of his image. Finally and fully being human. Wow. John talks about this in his first epistle where he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be, it's not yet been made known. But we know this. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. One day we will be fully like him. So I long for that day. And I actually, Evan, as I just thought about this last night and looked at this some more... um, you know, I just feel like so much of my life is, you know, like that, right? 
that we feel so much our brokenness, but God has this beautiful thing that he's restoring us to. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That I'm in the hand of the master sculptor, and he's lovingly sculpting my life, making me more like himself. So that image actually, Evan was just, became even more significant to me last night. Um, and as we become more like him, as we become more fully human, you guys know this, we'll become better fathers, mothers, better children, better siblings, better boyfriends and girlfriends, better friends. As he makes us into his image, we will become better leaders, we'll be better followers, better workers, better co-workers, better bosses, better neighbors. So this is his ultimate desire, this is his quest in my life, is that I be formed, conformed, and transformed into the image and likeness of his son, to the glory of the Father, for the benefit of others. Christ formed in us. Cool story, huh? Good news. That, that's, that's really his personal quest in my life. So, a few questions if you don't mind. In what area of your life is God most wanting to have his transforming work right now? Is there something in your behavior that you know isn't in alignment? God's maybe been dealing with you lately. Maybe choices you've been making that you know are not in alignment with his image. Maybe it's words, things you say, or the way you say them. Maybe it's something in the thought life that God's wanting to work on. Maybe it's priorities, things you really value and love. Maybe attitudes. Maybe just your moods. I don't know, just it's worth asking the question, Lord, where are you... And don't take all of that. Like, what's the one thing you're really at work in my life forming me to become more like you? You know, I want that everything we do at 12th Avenue to be about that. That uh, our work with children is about that. That our work with youth is about that. With college students is about that. That um, at the international students, that that's what it's about that our small groups are about that, that our worship is about that, forming us more into his image. Um, and there's so much more I could say about this, like, Garen, how do we get there? Because there's a lot the Bible says about it, but I'm not gonna, that's not what I want to talk about this morning. I just more wanted to, to just throw out this as a big picture thing of God's quest. Okay. Um... I want to start a brief conversation about one more thing related, if you don't mind. Is that okay? That I think is important. First, I have to show you Capitol Peak, one of the great 14ers of Colorado, and one I will never climb, you will see in a minute, it, because it has the famous knife edge. And I want to use this knife edge to illustrate something. Um, can I just show you some pictures of this knife edge thing? Check this out. Jiwan, this is the mountain I told you, you and I were not climbing this summer. When we, like last summer, the one we did. I mean, look at, look at some of this. This is crazy. Look at this dude right here. See, okay, there's one guy walking it, and there's one guy, this is me, if I'm doing it. They, people do it at night, you know, or in the dawn or dusk. Um, to give you a sense of, of the drop on this thing, check these out. 
Or look at this one. Look at that dude. Are you serious? Like, oh my gosh. But I mean, look at the, look at the drop. It's thousands of feet on both sides. Wow, can you imagine that? Okay, that guy's me. He's like laying on it. I think I'd lay on it, pull myself inch by inch. Um, now, let me ask you, if you're walking on the knife edge, probably where do you want to be walking on that thing? Do you want, you want to be kind of off on the left? Do you want to be on the right? Or do you kind of want to be down the center of that thing? Yeah, I heard somebody, down the center, right? Um, so... In this idea, this pursuit of me working with God in this, his quest for transforming me, um, I want to tell you, there is two extremes in the spiritual life that really come into play. And I think it's important I address this. Um, and so to me, it's, it's like the Christian life, the spiritual life is really like walking the knife edge. And here's the two sides. On one side is what I'm going to call legalism. I don't mean it in the sense of like pharisaical things. But it's kind of an emphasis on, it's, it's like law. It's an emphasis on following rules, black and white, perfect obedience, constantly measuring myself or things or other people. Um, and frankly, this, this way of living the Christian life is all about proving myself, either to God or to myself. Um, it's not a good way to live. I've been there and done that. On the other side is this libertinism. That's a really big word, like liberty Freedom is in that idea. It's an emphasis on like on laxity or license. It's like no commitment. It's doing nothing. No need to obey. Everything's gray. Frankly, living the spiritual life that way is all about pleasing myself, just to be plain and simple. If you tend to be the kind of person that beats yourself up a lot spiritually, you tend to, you tend to, to be on that legalism side. Again, I'm not meaning it that in the kind of the traditional way we think of it, but you're on the side of kind of law. Does that make sense? Um, if you tend to frankly just not care and just do whatever you want to do, you're on the other side, all right? You know, ah, oh, Christ wants for me. Ah, oh, who cares, you know? What time's the game on or, you know, whatever. Okay. I think we all in the spiritual life, I think we all struggle with one of these or even both of them. There's sometimes both sides of that, right? I think it's part of human nature. It's part of our fallenness that we want to run to one of these extremes in the spiritual life. I also think it depends a lot on your personality. You know, if you're a black and white personality, you're, which side are you going to tend to run to? That legalism, right? Kind of constantly measuring things in your spiritual life. Um, I think your upbringing, the parental style has a lot to do with it. Were your parents pretty hard and toe the line, or were they pretty loose, loosey-goose? But I also think our, and I've seen this a lot over the years, just talking with people, our religious background has a lot to do with this, a lot. The places that you have been spiritually before here greatly influences your, your spiritual life. Some of us have lived in religious spaces that were frankly toxic and that they pounded on obedience in such a way that it was guilt-driven and it became kind of a, just a mere outward conformity. Does that make sense? Some of us come from that in our background, um, where it's just all about rule-keeping, and there kind of was a lot of judgmentalism in the place, uh, people towards each other, but a lot of times me judging myself. It doesn't even have to be this way. It can just be an internal thing, um, where you can ne you're just never good enough, 
and you live under this constant frustration, I'm not good enough. I, when I became a believer, the church I went to, that was kind of the, that was the feel and flavor there. And so I went through, a, that influenced me, and I went through a period of my life where I was constantly comparing myself to the standards of the Bible, and I was never good enough, you know, does that make sense? By the way, I do want to say 12th Avenue in all my years here has never been that way, never. I've never felt that. But I want to talk briefly to those of you who struggle on that side of that legalism in regard to what I just talked about, of God's quest to form and conform and transform you into His image. Because people who struggle on that side, they'll hear a sermon or read a book or have a conversation or even read the Bible related to anything about expectations on behavior or change that God wants to have in your life and immediately hear condemnation. That's immediately where their mind goes. Um, either from the words of the Bible to the words of the book or the words I'm saying, there's just this condemnation. Or um, just even hearing that God wants to form me in His image. There's some people in here this morning who are already defeated, haven't even left yet, and you're already defeated. Like, there's no way I could ever match, live up to that. Um, that idea that God is taking us somewhere becomes a burden and all you can think about are your shortcomings and the way you don't measure up to what He wants to make us. Um, hearing those questions I asked a minute ago got some people uptight, muscles tensed, and it was just this, like, I never live up to what I'm supposed to be. Um, just everything is kind of filtered through this performance framework. Never good enough. Just never good enough. I'm never good enough. This is very real. Really, it's very real. I hear it a lot, and I also know it because I've been there and I've done that. I used to be a card-carrying member of the, I still don't know what to call it, the something club. Whatever this club is, man, I had a big card of this never being good enough club, beating myself up. And I just want to talk to you for just a minute, um, if I may. And I think we all need to be reminded, because we all, I think, struggle with going on to one of these two sides. Um, living the Christian life, again, is like living, it's like climbing Capitol Peak and being on the knife edge. And it's a knife edge we have to walk every day. But I want to tell you, on both sides of that knife edge is a deadly abyss. And on that side of legalism, Paul says in Corinthians, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, what? Kills. The Spirit gives life. I've been there. I know what it's like to constantly measure myself to the ideals, and, but it's condemning, and it just kills your spirit, doesn't it? Okay, And that's not where Paul lived. Paul was able to live in this awesome place, walking this knife edge, um, and I'm sure he struggled too, but he was at the center of those two things, and that's the better way, and that's the path this morning I want to call us all on, that narrow way between the two extremes. Um, we're actually... The two things are brought together in this cool, I don't know how to describe it, but I'm going to give it a shot. Here it is. He describes it in 2 Corinthians 5.14, where he says, Christ's love compels me. It's the way of love. Not legalism, not libertinism, but it's the way of love. And his love just moves me and motivates me, and it compels me. In 2 Corinthians 317, he says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Boy, I tell you what, to live motivated by love, love for Him, 
there's so much freedom in that. And it's the way, specifically, it's the way of obedient freedom. It's taking those two extremes and putting them together. And I can live in this obedient freedom that's just motivated out of my love for him. And living under, yes, he wants to make me into some, like himself, but his, his, his masterwork hand of forming is so gracious and loving. And he's not constantly comparing me to the end product. He'll take care of that. He's just wanting to just one step at a time. Does that make sense? And for me to just lovingly go with him and trust his love in that process. Um, and here's how you know if you're walking in that way. In Matthew 11, Jesus said that if you're really following him like this, like Paul, you have rest for your souls. That yoke feels easy. That burden is light. So if you're not walking where you can say, I'm at rest and that yoke is easy, the burden is light, then probably struggling with that, ex- that, that extreme. And I just challenge you to, to try to, to get back into that, that middle way. So, Yep, 2 Corinthians just says those key words. It's, it's, just, it's day by day, ever-increasing glory, little by little. It's a process, it's a journey, it's three steps forward, it's two steps back. That's why I love Psalm 84.5. Blessed are those whose strength in the Lord, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. We're just on a journey. Uh, did any of you guys have this song when you were in youth? Long ago. Little by little in every day, little by little in every way, Jesus is changing me. He's changing me. Since I made a turnabout face, I've been walking in His grace. Jesus is changing me. He's changing me, my precious Jesus. I'm not the same person that I used to be. And then I forgot. But sometimes it's slow going, but still there's knowing that one day perfect I will be. It's just that little by little, that little by little walk. And I want to talk about this more in the future, but you know what? We have at 12th, and we should have a fixer-upper spirituality, not a showcase spirituality. We're not trying to be Ikea. The showrooms, you go in there, and it's perfect. None of us is that, right? We're all a fixer-upper. And anytime you're in a fixer-upper, it's full of tools and sawdust and junk, and it doesn't look good. There's parts that look good. You see what's coming, but there's parts that look like a mess, right? Isn't this what we are? We're, we're all a fixer-upper. So let's, let's be free in that. And I love this from Paul where he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and the kingdom of God is supposed to be about peace and joy. And if your walk in him conforming you isn't a walk of joy, we need to step back and ask the question, you know, am I, am I living on one of these extremes that's sapping the joy out of it? Because it should be a joy. So would you stand with me? There's a famous song. You guys know the song, Change My Heart, Oh God? You guys know this? Can we, I want to make it a prayer. Could we sing it as a prayer? Okay. You're going to find out here in a second why you never would hire, nobody hired me as worship leader. Uh, Can you guys sing this with me? If you know it, sing it loud. Okay. May this be our prayer. So, change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. 
is what I pray. Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like. And God's people said, Amen. May you never see a jar of Play-Doh the same again. And I've got, by the way, for the children, most churches have candles. People are like, this church has Play-Doh. What's this? If, if you've got some children here that want a Play-Doh, come up and have one. But, um, so this week, can this be, can we just, all right, Sammy, look at that. The love of Play-Doh compels him, I'm telling you, look at that. Just may we live this week, just this simple challenge, with this prayer on our heart. Just God, would you change my heart? Can we just do that and just live in the joy of the Lord on the journey? So Lord, may we become a people like you. May we be a people who just reflect your image to the world around us. And we long for the day when you will come back and make us fully like you and fully human. And we're finally free from sin. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.